are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. Love the Lord your God. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands And bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now we move on to Judges. Disobedience and defeat. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Ares in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Thank you, Donna. All right, great to be in Scripture together this morning. I missed you last week. I was down at Faith Baptist Church in North Minneapolis, and their pastor, Aaron Brockmeyer, was here, and that is what in the business we call a pulpit swap. And so we switched spots and specifically wanted to invite Aaron here, which I'll get to in a moment. But the contrast between our two congregations, there I was at Faith Baptist in Minneapolis, a congregation that is 137 years old, and we are 12. So how long ago was 137 years? Well, it was 1885 when that church was founded. The Statue of Liberty was just arriving in New York Harbor. Mark Twain published a new little book called Huckleberry Finn. Grover Cleveland was president And the first glass of Dr. Pepper was served by a pharmacist in Texas. So if you look on the can, it says 1885. And I think the fact that it was a pharmacist who invented it is probably why Dr. Pepper is a mix of 23 natural flavors. No offense to the pharmacist. Where's Julie? (laughs) In any case, it was a wonderful visit. To be at Faith Baptist was an idea that was prompted by our invitation because I've known Pastor Aaron for a number of years and one of his areas of expertise is faith at work, faith in the workplace. And so I trust that as you heard him preach last Sunday, you were able to head into work life, into your job in a new way 
as you considered the words of Colossians that he led us into. And so this week, I come back to you with a message about faith at home and a pair of passages out of the Old Testament. We're making our way this fall through a series called Healthy Rhythms, Bible Teachings for a Happy Heart. I got a note from my doctor this week after my annual checkup just a couple weeks ago, and it said, uh, you know, my chart or whatever the online system is. He says, Pastor Bjorn, your cholesterol is mildly elevated, similar to last year. Please work on exercising and eating a healthy diet as we discussed. He is saying to me, there are some healthy rhythms that you need to pay attention to. And I don't think I will mention to him that yesterday I, in fact, did have a glass of Dr. Pepper under the umbrella of sermon preparations. But there are healthy rhythms that we find in the Bible that lead to happiness of heart. And so we've been making our way this fall through a number of different scripture passages and various themes. We've talked about healthy family. We talked about two weeks we did on healthy conflict and conflict resolution. We looked at the theme of walking in truth and love in Second John and sharing hospitality and imitating what is good in Third John. We talked about faith at work a Sunday ago and now here we are for faith at home. And so the question that we're asking is what does it look like to live out your faith at home? And it's a question I want to say right off the bat that all of us can consider and apply regardless of what your home looks like. Whether you're married or single, whether you're still a kid just growing up or you're a senior citizen, whether you're a young family or when Esther and I lived in Southern California during our school years, uh, they called them dinks. Have you ever heard that term before? Dual income, no kids. Whatever station you're at in life, whether you're an empty nester, you're living alone, a full house, a grandparent, some of you great-grandparents, whether you live in an apartment, a townhouse, a senior living community, a single-family home, whether you're in a neighborhood, in town, or you're way out in the stick somewhere, we're asking the question this morning, how has God called me to live out my faith in my own four walls? in relationship with those in and around my home. So we're going to take this question to Scripture and look at these passages side by side. One of them is considered one of the most important passages, probably the most important passage of the Old Testament. The other contains what I would say is the saddest verse of the Old Testament. And together in them we're going to find a word of instruction, a word of warning, and a word of encouragement. So passage number one takes us to Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy is just a big word that means second law. Second law. And that's because this book is where Moses retells the history of Israel and reiterates the giving of the Ten Commandments, which were already listed in the book of Exodus. So Moses is remembering, in Deuteronomy, he's remembering the story a principle that itself will be underlined in this passage because we are so naturally forgetful. And so we read in verse 1, These are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan, that's a river, to possess. 
So a little background as a reminder. God had used Moses to get God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And he's leading them to a land that he has promised to them since Abraham. But what it means to be God's people is not just to have a promised land, but it's also to have a precious set of laws. So this is where you are going, and this is how you are to live. That's the gift to God's people. And we might initially cringe at being told how to live, but we recognize that's just our human nature since Adam and Eve, that we would bristle at the good purposes of God. But He, in fact, made us. He gave us life. He saved our life at the cross. And so if anyone knows how life is to be lived, then it is the God who gave it to us. And so listen to the so that result that we get to in verse 2 that's connected to verse 1. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. I want you to see that there is a multi-generational blessing attached to keeping God's commands. So if you want to bless your kids, and if you ask somebody who's older in years, right, what am I going to leave my kids? What do I want to pass on to them? Don't worry so much about leaving them a nest egg or a lake place or attending all of their games. That's not actually your highest priority, but it's that you would leave them the joy of keeping God's commands. Now, some of us might say joy, but it says fear. Where do we get joy when it says the fear of the Lord? But again, we have to correct our American English associations with that word fear. Because the fear of the Lord in the Bible does not have negative connotations like being afraid of something. Afraid of the dark. Or uh, adults, afraid of a scary diagnosis. Or for any of us, a fear of the dentist. Maybe especially after Halloween. Now there is an appropriate level of fear and trembling that we should have before God. But it is principally a fear of reverence as we stand before His throne and recognize this is a holy, awesome God that we have. So follow the flow of the passage then as we connect these things. Keeping God's commands leads to the multi-generational blessing of fearing the Lord, which leads to what? Which leads to enjoying long life, it says. So you want your kids to be happy? To enjoy a long life and that they themselves would live to see their grandparents? Then this is how you do it, it says. So that you may enjoy long life. And of course, that's not intended as a guarantee that if you love the Lord, you're going to automatically make it to your 90s. That's not it. But what it is, is proverbial wisdom. Something that is often and generally true. And it's spoken, remember, to a people group. That they may live and flourish. So if you and I will live the way that God intended life to be lived, then in general, the Scriptures say that it will lead to a healthy life and a long life because you'll be living the way that God designed. So then we get to the heart of the passage. We're going to go to verses 4 and 5. 
really the heart of the Old Testament. And this passage is called the Shema. And it was and still is today a daily prayer in the Jewish faith. And it's called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A, because that's the first word in Hebrew that's in this verse. Hear. Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we're just going to pause right there at the halfway mark to understand the importance of this statement. Because as I read it, you know, it doesn't strike us as immediately compelling. A statement about God's oneness. But it has profound implications, and that's what I want to draw out. First, the people that this word is given to are living in a polytheistic world. What does polytheistic mean? It means they have many gods around them. And all their neighbors and all the people groups, there's many gods. And that's quite a bit different from our own culture, isn't it? And yet maybe not so much when we consider that our cultural gods are also many in number. They just have taken different forms. But in any case, to declare that there is only one God and that you're only going to follow Him, to declare something like that where they were living was a bold statement. I mean, this was swimming upstream, something countercultural. Because everybody else in Mesopotamia lived in this constant tension of having to appease all of these gods that are up there. And the terror that could happen in your life if the gods got in a fight with one another, which they often did, and you had backed the wrong god, then they were going to take it out on you. Secondly, this statement went beyond just declaring that God is number one among all those gods. It does more than that, doesn't it? So it's not just he's first like Baal was first among the Canaanites or Amun-Re was number one in Egypt or Marduk in Babylon. But no, this God is the only God. The others are just all make-believe. Like Morgan Wallen sings, all of them days wasted on you. I guess I was wasting my time because they don't exist. And that's why the Israelites sing in Exodus 15. This is the song that Miriam leads the people in. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? It's a rhetorical question, isn't it? The answer is no one. What other gods? There is only one. And Miriam sings. He's majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders, which are some of the attributes that we studied this summer as we came for worship. He is the all-powerful, only God. And now start to peek at the next verse with me. Because this all-powerful, unique, and unified God commands Israel to love Him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the actions come right back to us. The other gods commanded a lot of things. But love was not on their list. And this too reveals another aspect of God's character, doesn't it? That God is one, but God is also love. There is one God over all creation, and He of all things is concerned with love, with the affections of my heart. Jesus was asked once, what's the greatest of the commandments? And you might recognize these words because He responded by citing this passage, the Shema. And you could go to Mark chapter 12 
And you could read about it later today. Or the other Gospels as well. But Mark 12. What do we see Jesus repeat throughout the Gospels again and again in other places? He says, he who has ears. Remember what he says? He who has ears, let him shema. Right? We can put that Old Testament word there. Let, he who has ears, let him hear. And so you get to answer that too. You get to wake up today and every morning that the Lord gives you breath and you get to say, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength. Morgan Wallen can sing a new song. So let's keep going with Moses verses 6 and 7. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. What's the picture that's being painted here? It is the totality of what God has invited you into. The Ten Commandments and everything else in this book were not meant to stay on stone tablets or on scribal paper but they were meant to leap off the page and come into my own heart. A transfer from the physical realm to this one, on the inside of me. And I want you to notice in the passage as we look at those words, before it can ever be impressed upon your children, it has to be upon your own heart. Our staff was making fun of me this week when in a staff meeting I said, Jeepers. I thought it was just a normal word, but apparently not. I said jeepers. It's like an expression of surprise. And where do you think I learned this word? They're sitting right there. Because I was raised by two parents who grew up in the 60s and 70s from rural Minnesota. And it left an impression. Impress the Lord's commands on your children. And how do you do that? We go right to Scripture and we see. Talk about them. Talk about them a lot, it says. Talk about them every day, everywhere you go. When you're at home and when you're driving in your car. That's our equivalent, isn't it, to walking along the road? When you're at home, when you're driving in the car, when you get up, when you go to bed. It's saying from sunup to sundown, everywhere in between. And you might say to yourself, when you look at that and you think about where you're at, you might think, well, jeepers, does that mean that, <laughs> does that mean that we got to be one of those weird religious families? I mean, let's be real here. I get it if you're asking that. Does that mean we got to be one of those weird religious families? Well, in a word, yes. I mean, I don't know how to break it to you. I don't know how to break it to you that if your goal is just to be here, to mix in, you know, just like a safe amount of faith, you know, just one thing among 20 others that would, you know, this would be like the spiritual part of your life, then following Jesus is not going to work for you. How many people said to Jesus, Lord, I want to follow you, but first let me go... You know these passages? Lord, I want to follow you, but, but first let me do... And what does Jesus say to them? He says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
If you're going to follow, follow. And if you're still sorting this out, you're here this morning. This is certainly not intended to be a heavy-handed word or judgmental. This is the best place to do that. You come and you sort that out and kick the tires. But we want to communicate the truth of the matter and not downplay what it means to follow Jesus. This is, in fact, what God has called us to. And so if you want to put it that way, then, yeah, be one of those weird families. My mom used to say to me, weird is good. Which she maybe said just to console herself when I was in my Beatles phase and had shoulder-length hair and wire rim glasses in middle school. But be one of the weird ones. Be faithful is what that means. Let's talk, not talk about religious. Be faithful. That more than anything else, this would leave an impression upon your children. Well, let's finish the passage and go to verse 8. Tie them, and the them is God's commands, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now there's debate about this. My personal leaning is that this was originally meant in a figurative way, following what was stated earlier where God's commands are to be upon their hearts. But sometime, they say, 2nd century B.C. or post-biblical Judaism, somewhere around that time, they started to do this literally. So the boy in the, in the picture that you see has a little box that is strapped to his forehead, which is called a phylactery or a frontlet. And inside that box is what? It's important Bible verses like the Shema that is literally strapped to the forehead. And you also see the straps that are bound around the arm also following this verse. Then in verse 9, keeping with this theme, it says, Write them, again, God's commands, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now the picture that you see there on the right was taken just two days ago. This is called a mezuzah. And I took this picture, they, they took it for me, uh, at the home of Greg and Judy Watke from our church family. And I'm consistently amazed, I, I texted them later, just that, that God would orchestrate these kinds of details long before we're ever aware of it. We sketch out this sermon series months in advance, and, and this text was lined up. And here it's the very same week, two days before I'm going to be preaching from Deuteronomy 6, we are affixing the mezuzah from verse 9 onto their doorpost. So they picked this up in Israel. Remember, we had all these pilgrims from the Y Church that went to Israel. They picked this up while they were over there. Mezuzah is this little long box that you see with a parchment of Scripture rolled up inside it containing, what do you think? The Shema and reminding all who live there that yes, we are a family who is going to keep the commands of God. And it is God himself who watches over this house. There we were Friday morning doing Deuteronomy 6-9 with the Watkeys and some of their other pilgrim friends from that Israel trip. Now, can these physical signs be done in a superficial way? Well, sure they can. Just like attending church or about anything else. Especially in Orthodox Jewish communities, I would say... All of this stuff can very much be fulfilling the letter of the law, but missing the Messiah who came to fulfill it. But let's think about ourselves. We don't want to miss 
what the passage is saying to us. That my doorpost and my head and my heart and my hands, my walking around and sitting at home and going to work and going to school, my lying down, my getting up, is all meant to center around the Lord. And so I can ask myself, in a way that is in line with the conviction of the Holy Spirit and not judgment, I can ask myself, how often during the day do my thoughts return to the Lord? I dare you today during the Vikings game. I dare you. Just allow your thoughts, commercial break, half to, I don't know when it will be, but allow your thoughts to just return back to the Lord and to think on Him. Is that weird? I don't know, maybe. But weird is good. Let's go briefly to our second passage. Deuteronomy 6 is the most important one. We're just going to finish here the last of my notes on Judges 2. The saddest passage, if you ask me, in the Old Testament. Verse 7. Let's read that verse. It says, The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. You're going to note the contrast that happens. And of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel... And so pause there. We just remember that Joshua was the leader who followed Moses. This is a leader later in the people of God. And everything had been good. The people of Israel remained faithful and served the Lord under Joshua. And then look at what happens in verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what He had done for Israel. What happened? Well, interestingly, we don't know exactly. And I almost wonder if God designed it that way so we couldn't just pin it all on the parents or all on that generation that came of age and walked away. Well, this is a word of warning to all of us. So parents, grandparents, be diligent in passing on an authentic relationship with Christ. And the warning is also given to kids. Be receptive and take ownership of your faith. Not riding on the coattails of your parents. Now when something like confirmation is done poorly, how many of us are familiar with confirmation? Is that something that we're familiar with? Show of hands. All right. So some have had positive confirmation experiences. Some, I've heard your stories, not positive. When confirmation is done poorly, it is purely a rite of passage. My parents said, I have to attend Wednesday nights. I've got to go to confirmation so that I can get confirmed someday and I get to check off the box. And then confirmation is like graduation. You know, you walk across the stage, you get the thing, and we never see them again. Now when confirmation is done well, and it can be done very well, then it is the intentional discipleship of young people. And it culminates with a high schooler, whenever they're ready, not prescribed by a certain age, when that high schooler is ready to stand in front of their church family and to say, my parents spoke for me at my baptism, but now I'm speaking for myself, and I am claiming this faith as my own. I have decided to follow Jesus as my Savior and the Lord of my life. We recognize in all of this, 
when we talk about faith at home, that the primary responsibility for the faith formation of our kids is with their parents. Do we recognize that? It's not with Katie. It's not with the pastor. It's not even with the church. We're secondary. From table to table, we get to equip you and support you and cheer you on as the primary place of faith formation. So if we desire a faithful future for our kids and our community and our country, then it's got to start at home. So let me summarize then what we've studied today as we come into the home stretch. Number one, a word of instruction. Love the Lord and follow His ways. A word of instruction. Love the Lord and follow His ways. The most important words of the Old Testament. Love and follow. Probably the most important words of the New Testament. Love and follow. And it is centered in Jesus Christ. Number two, we have a word of warning. Teach the children and tell of the Lord. Number two, word of warning. Teach the children and tell of the Lord. Dale Ralph Davis has a wonderful devotional commentary on Judges. You didn't know a wonderful devotional commentary could be written on the book of Judges. But he says, amnesia produces apostasy. This is a big word that just simply means to fall away from God. How does a culture end up godless? I don't know, maybe, you know, we could consider our own country, but with the Goshas here, those alarming statistics shared from Austria, 0.6. How does a culture end up godless? It ends up that way because the people forget. They forget to teach their children and to tell of the Lord. But you'll notice, how did I phrase it? I didn't say teach your children, I said teach the children because this isn't just a warning for parents, it's a word to the whole church. That we will be a place that prioritizes young people so that they can mature in their faith and boldly follow Jesus long after we're gone. And then number three, we had today a word of encouragement. Fear the Lord and it will be well. Fear the Lord and it will be well. And I retyped that first word a dozen times. I couldn't figure out, well, do I say fear? Or should it be worship or revere or love? And I went back to fear. God said to Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And I want to shake in my boots a little that the creator of the universe, the sovereign Lord over all of life, would see me and love me and call me into his presence. I want to fear him in a good and healthy way. The one who I also get to call father and friend. Because when I fear him, there is a promise in Scripture that it will be well for me. So sure, you and I will still get sick. We can still experience heartache, betrayal, and pain. But I remember, so did my Savior. And he did it for me. So that one day, my earthly home will simply give way to another address and I'll make my home in heaven forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.